This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 522 of the Stable Scoop Show. This is a very special episode for you today. Our sponsor of this episode is Purina Omega Match. I am Glenn Geek, founder of the Horse Radio Network and host of Horses in the Morning, the longest-running daily horse podcast in the world. Today, I wanted to bring you a special episode, not in roundtable format, but matter of fact, just the opposite. One-on-one with one of the most amazing women we have ever met in the horse world. But we're not talking about training horses. Matter of fact, we're not talking about horses at all. We're talking about dealing with grief. She was Jennifer's coach in the old days and really taught her so much about quietness and being present with your horse and everything that you do. Kim Walness was a top-level event rider with an amazing horse you may know from the past called Grey Goose. She's also a mother who has seen great tragedy in her life. You see, her daughter was murdered while at college 30 years ago and has also seen some other tragedies along the way. We have all lost people over the last year, or we know people that have lost people over the last year with COVID. Jen and I lost a couple of friends in the past few weeks from a couple of different things. So grief and the pain of loss have been on my mind, and I know it has been on many of yours. Kim made a post on the anniversary of her daughter Andy's death about the lessons she learned about grief. It was so well done, I asked her to join me to discuss this important topic, that really, when you think about it, nobody wants to discuss. This is not light and lively and fun, but it is important. We were on a Zoom call, so Kim sounds a little hollow. Sounds like she was sitting in her living room talking on her laptop, and that's exactly what was happening. So I hope this helps someone. I think the conversation helped me. It's been a rough couple of weeks. But before we get to that, let's talk about Purina Omega Match. If your horses can't get out on green grass for their daily dose of omegas, Purina's got you covered. The Purina team of PhD equine nutritionists have two new products that are rich in omega-3 fatty acids and taste better than many other sources, like fish oil. Try the Purina Omega Match Timothy-based ration balancer or the Ahi Flower oil supplement and see for yourselves why these are among some of the best omegas that nature offers. It takes science and love together, each pulling their weight to help your horses live their best lives. Put Purina's research to the test at PurinaMills.com slash Omega Match. That's PurinaMills.com slash Omega Match. Now it's time for Kim Walnuts. Well, as I mentioned in the intro, I have a very old dear friend who used to stay at our house quite often when she would come through and help Jennifer out. We have Kim Wellness here. Hi, Kim. Hi, Glenn. Good to see you. We used to have some deep conversations at nights when you'd hang around the house, too. I forgot about that till now, actually. It does seem like a lifetime ago. It seems like a lifetime ago. Well, it's good to be talking. I'm so glad you agreed to do this. I think it's important right now with what's the events of the last year and everybody's lost somebody and or more than one somebody's. And, you know, we've had some loss recently. And then when I saw your post on Facebook about the loss of your daughter and also your very special horse, Grey Goose, who a lot of our listeners will recognize that name. um, But then it's what you wrote after it that really got 
to me and made me think. And it was, uh, since grief, loss, and disappointment uh, are pretty common in today's world, I thought I would share some of what I've learned in the past 30 years through multiple losses and traumatic events. And you bullet-pointed some things. And what I'd like to do with you, if you don't mind, is go through the bullet points and have you share what you meant by those. I would be happy to do that. All right, good. So the first one was everyone grieves at some point. Well, that seems like a very simple statement, right? But it's true. It is true. It's, uh, grief can come from any form of loss. You know, it can be a divorce because there you're grieving a whole way of life. Uh, it can be from losing a job. It can be from losing a home. It can be from fire or assault or uh, any number of things that can happen to people in addition to uh, uh, grieving as a result of a death. Right. And, you know, and again, do you think it matters what form the death comes in? No, absolutely not. Any, anyone's pain is pain and suffering. It's theirs, and they are the only ones who feel it truly. And we can have empathy for them. But we certainly, there's no, in my mind, no room for judgment when it comes to grief, because it's real. And unfortunately, in our society, we're taught to stuff grief because uncomfortable feelings are kind of taboo in our society. And that's so unhealthy. It's really unhealthy. I don't think, I don't think we're allowed the time that some of us need to grieve either. Amen. I agree. Um, Some people... Uh, they, they seem to feel like, well, it's been six months. You know, you got to get on with your life. And in six six months, things are still so raw, Glenn, they're raw. Well, that's why they, isn't that why they say don't get remarried after a divorce for a year? Because you really, your emotions aren't yours? Correct. Yeah, yeah. you're still, you're still, well, they're yours, but they're not normal, quote, right. unquote, normal. Yes, you're still in a state of shock. And I know for me personally, after uh, my daughter, Andy, died, um, I, it took me three years, Glenn, to come out of what I call the gray zone, uh, where everything was, there was no color. I was functioning, but I wasn't really present the way I used to be and am now. Uh, and it, it's t- it, took, um, it took a couple of decades to come fully more uh, okay, to come fully into an acceptance and be able to um, move on with life in a way where I felt like I was living again, really living again. Yeah, I don't think you could have written this when you were staying at our house 20 years ago. Oh, no. 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 I don't no, you weren't I'm at that whole, place. Uh, no, I'm a whole different person than I was then. Yeah. Yes, yes. I, th- I think that's true. Um, everybody's process is unique was the second bullet point you put down there. And, you know, then, and that's true. And I, you know, it, it does seem like some people, some people grieve less naturally and some people grieve more naturally. And, uh, you know, that goes back to the personality too, obviously. Yes. Very true. Um, some people process their grief through humor, and, and uh, a lot of people don't understand that. And some people process their grief through clinging to it, 
And I know that it's kind of taboo in our society. If you've had um, a recent death, you're supposed to stay in mourning and be upset and be sad all the time. And if, if that, I mean, that's genuine and that's okay. But if it, if someone offers you an opportunity to laugh, I know on the way to Andy's memorial, the person who was driving the car told a really funny joke. Oh my God, it was hysterical. And I laughed so hard. And I there's a part of me that was saying, oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to laugh because Andy was such a bright, vibrant person with a great sense of humor. And the last thing she would have wanted was everybody being morose. Yeah. And it down the line, it took me a while, but down the line, I realized that my grief in my mind was for Andy dying young at 18. But in reality, my grief was for myself. Andy was okay. Mm. She kept letting me know that. She kept letting other people know that who kept giving me the message. And I knew it in my bones, but I was not okay. Because my whole future life had been ripped away. Because we were going to work together when she graduated from college. And so... Yeah, she was a horse girl too, right? Absolutely. That rider. Yes. Yes, and a good one, and um, and a good instructor. And she had hoped to, uh, what she st- wanted to study was uh, sports medicine so that she could help people repair physically and prepare physically and do the physical part of it. Hmm. So we would have made a good team together that way. You would have definitely, no yeah. question. <laughs> yeah. But once I realized that, that, that my pain was for me, it helped to shift things a bit. Takes a while to get to that point, and I think in some cases you never do. And I think some of that has to do with too. I was thinking about this after I read yours. Some of it has to do with how much guilt you have associated with that person too from past experience. And I know that's a hard thing to bring up. And I'm not saying that was the case with Andy. I'm talking in general here. In general, yeah. No, I think that's various and a very astute insight. Yes, I would agree with you. Especially when it comes to a parent, right? I mean, yeah, we all have that. <laughs> <laughs> and and also uh and, and whether you're a parent in the sense of a child a human child or an animal or a project even you know of something that crashes or a whatever. business or whatever yeah. yeah yeah exactly uh it's something that we're creating and or have created and so we invest a lot of ourselves in it and so yes there is that so Andy disappeared on a rafting trip in Virginia, um, got separated from her group, and just never showed up at the rendezvous point. And so, obviously, somebody had to come and take her away. And, and I thought to myself, when you bring up the guilt, I, I thought, oh, my God, could I have prepared her better? And Andy was 18, so she was, you know, um, an, an adult, so to speak. As an adult. As adult as we ever get. Uh, Yeah, yeah. as adult as we ever get. But she was also a very responsible person, and I had drummed it into her because she did a lot of traveling with us on our trips with the Grey Goose going all these various places for clinics and for shows and things. And we drummed it into her not to, um, you know, not to hitchhike, not to pick up hitchhikers, not to get into a strange car, not to, there were a lot of rules on the road that she had drummed into her. So, 
I had I could reassure myself and say, no, I did the best I could. And I really honestly uh, Glenn, through you know my perspective of having lived seven decades, <laughs> I can I can say that although it may not appear to us uh, from our current perspective that everybody is doing the very best they can in every moment, they are. They really are. They they are doing the best they can, and so I had to come to terms with. Uh, uh, as parents, my um, my husband and I did the very best we could with our children, and you you got to turn them loose, and and then and then you know the karma. Everybody has their karma. You know, is it, um, as a actor for you know, a performer, basically, for all my life. Uh, you know, we had the acting company. When we knew you, I think we might still been doing some of that. You were? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. And yeah. then, and then, of course, doing this for the last 13 years, we're basically performing. That's what we do, right? We're doing shows. We're entertainers. Um, yes. it, I think we learn as entertainers, and this is for good or bad. I'm not sure which it is, to be honest. We learn to carp... carp- <laughs> You know the word I'm trying to say. Yes, um, compartmentalize. Thank you. <laughs> no. Um, so yes, the carpet. I can't even say the word. Uh, <laughs> but we get better at doing that because the show has to go on, right? So the other day, the reason I bring it up is the other day I was going to do horses in the morning, like I do five days a week, and with Jamie, and we found out about a death of somebody who was very dear to us that morning. So uh, so I had to go with Jamie two hours later and do a funny show. You know, we had to go on and do comedy. And so I think as performers, we learn to do that better. We learn that, again, I don't know if that's healthy or not, but I do think that it, through life, whether you're a performer or not, you learn to do that a little bit. You learn that there are times you have to put it in a box, and those that don't then really have trouble. I mean, really have a hard time. Uh, and again, I don't know if that's good or bad. Uh, I just think some of us do. Yes. That goes back to everybody processes grief in their own way. And and um, I think we develop skills throughout life as more grief happens to us because all things go in cycles. Um, we develop skills or not. We get some people just keep breaking more. Um, and I think a lot of folks who really break are the ones who cannot let go of what they had hoped would happen or, or, um, or they can't let go of what happened. And as you said, perhaps guilt behind it. And, but it's everybody's different. You, you know, I've learned, I've really learned. I have two bumper stickers on the back of my truck. One says, assume nothing. And the other one says, don't believe everything you think. Hmm. Hmm. I've had people actually come up to me and and talk about those bumper stickers. Well, uh, last year you would have people shooting your windows out. So I don't (laughs) don't think I'd want the the, the one, don't, what was the second one? Don't believe everything you think. If you take that to the political side, you have people shooting your windows out. (laughs) (laughs) So. That's not good. Um, so you, this is interesting, and you know, 
you said meditation is one of the best bombs ever. And I've never been good at that, by the way, because my ADD kicks in and then I'm thinking about other things and it doesn't work. Uh, but, you know, I've, I listen to a podcast that's all about hiking the Appalachian Trail. And they say, you know, you're going to spend six months with your own thoughts. And after about three weeks, you're going to hate them, you know? <laughs> So I think there's a period of that meditation where it goes through cycles, right? Till you get to a point, but it takes some time of being in your own head to do that. Yes, this is true. And something I found about meditation is, um, you know, we're often, you know, it's like we're always told clear your mind, there's no thought. It's very difficult to get here. Oh, yeah. We're in a healing body and, and we sort of are walking thoughts. That's what we are. You know, the body sustains the thoughts. It's, awful i agree with you but with what they said about the appalachian trail um but what i have found for me personally um i'm a very i'm a highly sensitive person and uh i get a lot of information through feelings more than thoughts and i have learned i've always been this way and i have learned to trust my feelings so meditation for me when i stopped Thinking of it as stop my thoughts, because like you, I also am ADD, and it was very difficult. When I started, here, here's what shifted it for me. Um, when I went to life coaching school, though, it was a spiritual life coaching school, and the, the lady leading it, Yanma Van Zandt, said, do you know the difference between prayer and meditation? And of course, we were all like blank. And she said, prayer is talking to the divine. Meditation is listening. Hmm. And I thought, oh, oh, how rude to be talking when you're supposed to be listening. <laughs> That's really rude. And I'd love to hear what the divine has to say. <laughs> so it helped me to just shut that up, that incessant chatter. And to stop judging it and understand that I didn't always have control over it and just let it go. And the more I just let it go and stop judging it, the more the thoughts began to dissipate and just drift away. And I began to feel more. So a lot of people are expecting, I mean, I've had the experience of lights and odd sounds in your ears and things too, but for me, it's more about feelings. It's about universal love, really, is what it's about. I think a lot of us, too, I think all of us, actually, uh, we try and avoid those feelings. It's some, you know, we're trying to stay, uh, some people's way of dealing with it is to say so busy, you don't have to, you don't have time to think about all of that stuff. And I think eventually all of that stuff will catch up. It catches up at some point. It does. Yeah. It does, Glenn. And, and I have been through that stage, too, of just busy, just stay busy. Because otherwise, I mean, you, when your grief runs really, really deep. Um, it, uh, you're, you know that if you just open the floodgates, you're going to shatter. Well, I was going to say, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just buying you time. It's buying time. Right. It's buying time for you to get some uh, settled a little bit, grounded a little bit more, better able to cope with. And, yeah, and, and you can't avoid the shattering. There is some shattering that happens in really deep grief. But that doesn't mean that you're going to stay broken. That that shattering can also break away old belief systems and thought patterns and 
and open and give you a more solid ground to stand on so that you rebuild in a in a better way like the japanese art of repairing broken things with gold i love that i just love that so that it becomes more beautiful afterwards than before i've seen this post recently too and it's about the post goes something like this i just lost my horse and why is it I feel more than I did when I lost a relative. In other words, is it okay to grieve as much or more in some cases for my animal than it is for a relative? What's your thought on that? Absolutely. I mean, we. I think they're feeling guilty about it, right? That's why they wrote it. Yes. Yeah. Yes, because animals are supposed to be a lower order of life, but that is so. Uh, that has not been my experience. I, I learn from animals all the time. I think, honestly, we're the lower form of life. We're the ones that have to learn. And they're always offering us lessons. And when I talk about that universal divine love, that's what they offer us. They offer us an open doorway into that because that's the world they live in. They live in connection and communication and that universal divine love, which is another word for atoms. You know, that is that divine spark that creates life and that is love and and they offer that to us all the time and that's a rare thing to find in human because we're not connected that way we are when we're born but it gets drained out of us yeah true yeah yeah Yeah. a two-year-old is that way absolutely yeah Yes, they're happy unless they're yeah. you know have some needs or they're hurt or injured or something or there's something horrific going on around them that they're resonating to and they don't know how to handle it. So, but otherwise, they're happy and they talk to animals and they talk to plants and they love being with. Yes, and then we're told that's not real. Right, and oh. for the rest of our life, actually. <laughs> It's very sad. Yeah. Yes. And we spend the rest of our life trying to get back there. So I totally, you know, I totally get that. Yes. When you have a beloved horse, a beloved dog, a beloved cat or parakeet, it doesn't matter. They, you have shared love with that being. You wrote, and it ties into what you were just talking about. um, It is possible to return to joy. Yes. What's what's the point? It's different for everybody, but what's the thing that has to happen for you to get there? I'm thinking. Hmm. Hmm. For me, it was being able to reconnect with Andy again. So uh, in the beginning, um, as I wrote earlier in that paper, the, the, uh, the, the extreme grief and frustration and occasional anger that would come through. A lot of people feel anger when someone dies, especially when it's sudden or there's a, a horrible reason. I mean, it's all horrible reasons, but in a sudden death, where like Andy was abducted and murdered. I mean, there's, there's a normal... That's horrible. Yeah, it was. And she was missing for almost four months. That was also horrible. Um, so uh, that was a barrier. And I, I, I knew in the beginning, Andy came in so strong, like, like the uh, police officials kept saying, oh, she's run away. This was really annoying. <laughs> 
I knew Andy well enough, she did not do that. Uh, oh, you know, there was always this, uh, this, a lot of people would not admit to the fact that she could be dead. Whereas I knew in every fiber of my being on the day I found out that she went missing, that she had died. I knew this. And my, my best friend who was like Andy's surrogate mother, she knew the same thing. She knew it. She knew Andy was dead. And she also, like me, knew that Andy was exactly where she wanted to be and was okay with it. And um, this did not make me friends <laughs> to, <laughs> to have this belief system because everybody else wanted to hold out hope. So that prevented me from being able to connect with her in a communicative way other than this general feeling that she was all right. And it was frustrating to me that friends in far places would email me or call me and say, Andy's trying to get hold of you. <laughs> she's coming to me and asking me to tell you that she's trying to get hold of you. And I'd be like, I'm trying. But of course, I was trying too hard, huh? So um, what began to happen, and it would happen um, most strongly and still does on, that, on July 4th. That's when she comes through the strongest. She starts connecting about a week ahead of time. And then she comes through very, this is why I share the messages that I get from Andy because they come through clearly. And I feel like it's a window for people that perhaps they can see another way to relate. So um, the more I trusted those feelings, the more I could receive her message. So meditation, see, that meditation really helped a lot because it was always in meditation on July 4th that she would come through. Hmm. Yeah. So I like this one. And I think, I think we probably can end with this one. It's a major loss does not have to define you. I had to recognize and release that myself before I could truly heal. I think sometimes we want it to define us. Right? Yes. 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 It can be a badge of honor. Well, especially in your case, right? I think people expect it to define you. Yes. I would agree with you. Your, your case well, was a murder. The ones who know about Andy. Yes. Yeah, I, I mean, the. Been 30 years, so a lot of people who know me. Right. But know. I mean, those that. Those of us that know, you know, and in, in in this case, because it was a murder, that we expect it to, def- we expect you to act a certain way as the mother of somebody who had been murdered, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. so not only are you dealing with your own crap, you have that to deal with from the outside. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, um, I did not realize that I was defining myself that way, but I was for years, and it wasn't until someone mentioned that to me. And it was, again, it was in life coaching school that somebody said that. And I, and, and I, was, I was gobsmacked. Absolutely. It just stopped. The world stopped in that moment as I considered, you know, in horse parlance, I licked and chewed on this, you know, did I define myself? By God, I did define myself. Yes, I am in my thoughts. And in the way I carried myself and the way I acted, there was this underlying constant, you know, like like we say, I'm a horsewoman or I'm an event rider or I'm a whatever. I am the mother of a murdered child. 
yes, this is what I was carrying around. And I thought, I am so much more than this. I am so much more than this. And this is not how I want to define myself. And I do not want to walk around in this sorrow for the rest of my life, however long. Nor would Dandy have wanted you to. Oh, my goodness. No, she would not. Absolutely not. No. So uh, I shifted that and, and recalled to myself all the other hats I wear, all the other ways I have defined myself. And, and I'll, I'll share, too, with you, Glenn, going back to the other question, which also bears on this one. Uh, Andy died in 1991. And in 1996, I had a catastrophic car accident uh, while traveling to a clinic in Texas. And uh, it was a single car accident. The, my forerunner rolled two and three quarter times because diagonal tires blew uh, while I was doing 75 miles an hour on the Texas highway at dusk in the middle of nowhere. And um, so I had a near-death experience. And, 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 you know, everybody's like, oh, my God. And I'm like, oh, no, but this was a seminal moment. It was pivotal because in that near-death experience, I was with Andy. And it was really awesome. <laughs> I, can't, I cannot begin to describe this. <laughs> joy, the joy and the light and the love is really, there are just no words to describe it. So I'm, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm in heaven and this is so cool. <laughs> and, um, and then, so I was in a room with her. It wasn't like a big open space. It was in a room. Everything was white. There were a lot of people. These were her friends. And it was just a really happy occasion, a, a party that I actually felt comfortable at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's hard, everybody, if you know Kim. <laughs> As an, introvert, as an introvert, yes, a highly sensitive, <laughs> empathic introvert. This is not easy for me. So then all of a sudden this doorway opened and I was being pushed to the door. And I'm like, no, no, no. And it was like a cartoon character. You know, I had a hand on either side of the doorway <laughs> and my feet like, no, no, I'm staying here. No, this is where I want to be. And, it's like, and all of a sudden, boom, I woke up in the hospital. And I'll tell you, I was angry. That I was I was not a happy camper. Okay, but the irony of this is who found you, if I remember yeah. this story correctly. Oh, you, oh, I was, I was, I didn't know how much time we had. No, uh, well, I go, you can't say that story and not do the rest of it. Oh, okay, well, yeah, th- this, this story is pretty amazing. So, <laughs> so like, my, my truck is in the, you know, uh, my forerunner is off in the desert, right? But uh, I had been playing tag with a trucker. And he happened by and saw the accident. Of course, he had a walkie, he had a CB radio, so he radioed for a, uh, an emergency helicopter to come. And and while they were, he happened to be an EMT, so he's the one who revived me. And then, um, oh, yeah, what's the other one? There's an EMT and there's a a paramedic. Paramedic, yeah. A paramedic stopped. A paramedic came along. I mean, I mean, this is this, it was a deserted highway in Texas. In Texas, <laughs> in the middle of Texas, of nowhereville, Texas, just desert everywhere, no towns. So the MT, the trucker was an EMT or a paramedic. I can't remember which one. And then the other version stopped and came and helped. And then a third car pulled up. And what was in that car? A priest and 
two nuns. <laughs> they were not going to let you die no matter what. <laughs> no, no, they were not. <laughs> I mean, here, could you have picked a better trifecta right there to find you as you're dying? <laughs> unbelievable. And then when I wake up in the hospital, there's a man sitting next. Now, I wear glasses, and without them, I see shapes and colors. Yeah, That's me too. pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. I'm very, very nearsighted, so I didn't have my glasses on. But there is a blonde man sitting in a chair next to the bed who, when I open my eyes, stands up and uh, asks me the proverbial questions. Do you know who you are? Do you know where you are? Do you know what happened? And, and then, uh, after I answer these questions, he places, he, he's holding a red rose. What a single red rose, and he he places this on my chest because I my hands are so black and blue and they're huge and I can barely bend my fingers because of you know flying around even though I have my seatbelt on the truck I, everything in the forerunner was banging me as it flew around the car so uh, I was that made me even angrier because he didn't answer any questions I had he was just silent. <laughs> except for the questions he had for me. And he hands me this rose and he walks out. Even when he was dressed in white, like a hospital orderly, you know? So when a nurse came in, I'm like, who was that guy? Because I wanted to complain about him. (laughs) Because I was, you know, I mean, I just woke up after all of this and I'm I'm not in a good frame. And, And she said, I don't know who you're talking about. So there's another mystery, huh? It's all, it's all so... Was the rose there? Yes, the rose was real. Hmm. Yes, the rose was real. She put it in a vase, a vase for me. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yep. I had heard that you told me this story one night at her house, and uh, the whole nun thing, and <laughs> I mean, the whole thing was just, yep, you weren't, you weren't allowed to go. No, I wasn't allowed to go, hmm. and and it, I oh, for a whole year, I was upset about that. But here's what I learned from it, Lynn. I mean, along with heaven is real, that it's pretty special. It's, it's not something to fear. Uh, I learned that when it's your time to go, you go, it's your time to go. And when it's not your time to go, you're not going to be able to. You know, it's just like as much as I wanted to stay there, I could not. And so I had to pick up my life and move on. I had to say, okay, all right, one step at a time, one day at a time one moment at a time just get to the next moment and pretty soon things start to shift and I'm going to add on to that, you know, after my experience last year. Uh, so we had a, I had a friend actually was on the cruise with us and is a listener's husband who found out about cancer the same time I did. She's probably listening to this. Um, and he passed away. It was that aggressive. So, you know, so I was fortunate in that, you know, as far as we know so far, mine hadn't spread and they got it. Um, but he passed away two weeks ago. Uh, and I just talked to him, too. And then, you know, I got the infection and almost went septic and had that to deal with. I was really sick. And after the and then I just had a friend die of sepsis after a operation. So those two things put together made me realize that, you know, it wasn't my time either. You know, that that I, I'm I'm here for something else, too. So make, you know, do the best I can. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Apparently have more talking to do, which probably makes some people cringe, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> it 
makes the rest of us very happy. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that, Kim. <laughs> <laughs> and laughter. I think when you can start to laugh again is when you know you've turned a corner. I would agree with you. Yes. When it can just come spontaneously. Yep. Yes. And there isn't like, oh my God, oh my God, I want to laugh, but is it okay to laugh? And you don't have any questions. But you don't have guilt for laughing. Exactly, Glenn. Yep. Exactly. There's no guilt for, there's no guilt. For living. Amen. Yes. Because that's part of what the guilt's about, right? We have guilt that we're still here and they're not. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Especially when it's a parent-child situation. Yes. Oh. That's not cool. That's yeah. 10 times bigger, you know. Mm-hmm. It is large, yes. Yeah. Where can people find your your stuff? Can they follow your Facebook page, or how's that work? Yes, they can, they can uh, friend or follow. Uh, so I have two Facebook page, pages. There's my personal page, which is Kim Wallace, and then there's my business page. So they can follow that if they like, which is Kim Wallace, The Way of the Horse. Yeah, and that's... And, and my website is uh, thewayofthehorse.com. And you're still doing clinics and things, right? I am. Yeah. Yes. yes. I thought I so. Love it's what floats my boat. Yeah. Uh, well, and I know Jennifer has has very grateful for all the time that you spent with her over the years. Uh, yeah. I'm glad to hear that. So. And I also Glenn do um, blood coaching and phone consultations and things. You know, more than just teaching horses about being horses. So, if somebody wants to reach out to you about this particular topic, is that something you would take on? Yes. Okay. If they're going through their grief and haven't gone to the laughing part yet. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to help where I can. Okay. You know, I, all I can do is offer folks some uh, perspectives and um, my own experiences. And, yep. and, and the fact that I have been there and done it and can understand some of what they're going through. Thank you for doing this today. Oh, my pleasure, truly. Thank you for asking. Kim Walness, just look her up on Facebook and you'll find it.